How are you guys today? Enjoying the snow, I hope? Um, yeah, come on. Who loves the snow? Who's ready for it? Okay, who hates it? And you're like, I don't know why I live in Alaska, because it snows all the time. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, man, I am, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, before I go any further, I just want to say today um, we are talking about sex, and we're in a three-week series called High Voltage. And so if you have kids in this room, I would love to encourage you to maybe check them into our Illuminate Kids program. Today's message is probably around, I would say, PG-13, maybe even a little higher than that. And so if you want to check them in, there are people with Love All, Serve All shirts in the back of the room. You can just walk right towards them. They'll help you get plugged into our kids program downstairs. And I would just love to say, too, like, I would encourage you to check your kids into our Illuminate Kids program every week. It is, it is more beneficial for them. They get the gospel preached to them in a kid-appropriate way, and I just love the stuff that's happening down there. So if you need assistance with that, you can do that right now. Also, um, as we begin this message and, and, and we're in this series, you're going to see a phone number on the screen behind me. At any point during this message, just pull out your phone. I'm not going to assume you're checking Facebook or anything like that, hitting up Twitter. This is creepy this morning. Um, no, but uh, you can text your questions into this phone number, and Pastor Brian will talk about them next week. We're not going live feed with the questions, but last week you guys texted a bunch of questions. I'm going to be talking about those at the end of the message today. And so if you have more questions that come up, um, you can text those in, and Pastor Brian uh, may or may not talk about those next week. We're having lots of them come in, so we're not able to spend the whole time talking about questions. But we are in a series, High Voltage, talking about sex in the Bible. And this is incredibly important for us to talk about. And even people who are married in this room, people who are not married in this room, look, I get it. There, there are so many different people represented here in this room today. I mean, there are, there are people who are still virgins. There are people that were virgins until the day they got married. There are people who have been promiscuous all through teenage years and into their adult life. Right? There's people who are... Uh, who are just broken, people who have been abused sexually, people who have same-sex attraction, people who, uh, married couples who have awesome, healthy sex lives, married couples who have terrible, broken sex lives, people that love that we're talking about this this morning, people that hate that we're talking about this this morning. And uh, then on Wednesday was my wife, who's just praying that I do not use us as any sermon illustrations this morning. I get it. I get it, this is not a comfortable topic to talk about, especially in church, but the truth of the matter is there's no place that we should be talking about this more than the church, because the Bible has a lot to say on this topic. I get it, I really do. But we need to understand one thing, is that we are all, no matter where, what your background is in this area, no matter where you're coming from, we need to understand that we are all broken sexually, all of us. Every one of us in this room are broken sexually because we've all been broken spiritually. And if you've been broken spiritually, you've been broken sexually. And scripture's real clear on that. And it's, it's really interesting as we um, dive into this. It's, it's just amazing how God works. I've been planning to talk about this for a long time. And I've been working on this message for a while. And in, in what I want to even just start off talking about this morning... Um, it's amazing how God works and how now this is what is in our face today, this week. I don't know if you've seen the hashtag MeToo movement. It's amazing. I've been, I've been planning to talk about this, and yet this week, this movement starts out. And on Tuesday night, I sat in my room just blown away and saddened as I scrolled through Facebook and I scrolled through Twitter, seeing how many friends of mine are out there, hashtag MeToo, hashtag MeToo. 
hashtag me too. And if you don't know what the hashtag me too movement is, is it is in correlation or response to, if you have not seen in the last couple weeks, one of the biggest names, one of the top executives in Hollywood, Henry Weinstein, it, it has come to light that he's been sexually abusing people for decades. I mean, it is so deep and so dark that I, I read this article, I had to read it twice because I thought I'd write it wrong the first time, that if you signed a contract to have Henry Weinstein get you into a movie, that in the contract many times was a sexual abuse clause where he was allowed to sexually abuse you as long as he made payments out to you. It is so dark, and, and for decades no one has said anything, and finally it's come to light by the grace of God. And what's coming out of this is this conversation about sexual abuse. Is this conversation that needed to, ha- needed to happen years ago. And finally, our society is beginning to talk about it. And, and to be honest, we need to talk about it in the church. And what's happened is a, is a few, or last Sunday, an actress came out and she wrote this kind of personal um, blog about herself and her sexual abuse uh, in her life. And she, what she was saying is, look, if you've been sexually abused, you are not alone. You are not alone. You need to say something. And, and she hashtagged it, me too. In other words, me too. I've been sexually abused. Me too. I've been sexually abused. And so people are starting to, some of them share their stories. Some people are not ready to share their stories. But they're taking the first step and admitting, yes, something has happened in my life. And I was blown away by how many people I knew hashtagging me too. And it's for women, for men, for anybody who's been sexually abused. And man, this is, this is real fun to jump in Sunday morning, a nice snowy day coming in, and understand this is what we're going to be talking about for a moment in church this morning. But this is so important that we have to understand this and talk about this. And even in preparation for this, I've been listening to some podcasts and reading some blogs, and, and I, I ran into someone named Dr. A- uh, Dr. Dan Allender. And he's, he's a psychiatrist, Christian guy, um, and he specializes in healing from sexual abuse. And I, I want to read to you just real quick what he considers sexual abuse. First of all, he lumps these three words into one category. So he says sexual abuse, sexual shame, and sexually used. That all of those are the same because some people go, well, man, hands were never put on me, so I was never sexually abused. And so I deal with this in a different way. I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to get help for this because hands were never put on me. He says, no, if you've been sexually abused, used, or shamed, that's, it's all the same thing. It's all been something been done to you. And this is what he defines as sexual abuse. I want to read this to you. He says, sexual abuse can be defined by whenever an older child or an adult or a more powerful child or adult, and he defines power by this, this is important, He defines more powerful as someone who has a more sophisticated or understanding about sex. More sophistication or understanding about sex. When that person grooms and enters you into a sexual experience that you were not wanting or asking for. So when someone has a more understanding about sex, more sophistication about sex, whatever degree that is, when they groom you or enter you into a sexual experience that you didn't want or ask for, that is sexual abuse or shame, or, or, um, or use. And by that definition, by, by, by using that definition, it's amazing when all of a sudden you step back and look at so many people's even first experience with pornography. Their very first experience with pornography, so many people, that's a sexual abuse situation, and he talks about that, that so many children are being sexually abused by pornography. Think about it. 
A 12-year-old boy goes over to his 12-year-old friend's house, and his 12-year-old friend says, hey, do you want to watch a movie I found in my dad's room? And the 12-year-old boy's like thinking, yeah, Rambo, this will be awesome. And it ends up being pornography. That's sexual abuse. Now, it's not malicious, but it doesn't mean that it does not affect that child that saw it for the first time who was not looking for that experience. And, and by, by these types of terms and definitions, he says one in... One in two women have been sexually abused, and one in three men have been sexually abused. And it's an issue inside the church and outside the church. And it's something that, man, we need to talk about, and we need to understand that we need to talk about this. And we need to understand, like, you are not alone, and you are not, we're, we're all broken sexually, so you're not broken, and I'm not broken. No, the fact of the matter is, is that we are all broken sexually, and we all need to be healed through Jesus. And, and uh, Dr. A- uh, Allender talks about healing, and he specifically, that's his expertise. And, and I just want to share two things that he talks about with healing. The first one, he says, is you have to name it. Language is important. He says so many people try to kind of deflect this idea that something has happened to them, so they talk about something weird that happened to them, or something inappropriate that happened to them, or something that was just a little off. And he says, no, you got you to claim, you got to talk about what happened to you. That, man, I was sexually abused. I was sexually used. Right? And, and, then, and then he says, after that is to step into the story. Step into the story and begin to talk about it. Because healing will not happen by ignoring it. And healing in this area, time does not heal all things. I mean, I was just talking to my mom about this a week ago. My mom was up visiting and, and I was telling her what I was going to be talking about, and she's like, this is incredible. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's in her 60s, in her 60s, and she's still carrying around a brokenness and a pain in her heart from a sexual abuse that happened to her when she was 10 years old, 50 plus years later, and it is still affecting her today. And I think that is true for most, if not all of us in these areas people who've experienced this. It does not heal all things because, man, sexual abuse is more than just abuse that happens to our physical body. It's something that happens to us spiritually. It's something that happens to our souls and it's something that happens to our physical bodies. And that just does not get healed. It does not go away without a process of healing. Now, the good news is is that there can be 100% healing for you beginning today, but it is a process and it is a journey and Dr. Allender talks about how, man, you need to first talk about it, and then second, you need to step into the story and start talking about, walking through the story of what has happened to you and sharing with someone about it. Now, if you're married, I would say, man, begin this conversation, if you have not already, with your spouse. And if you're a spouse on the receiving end of this, hearing this, just shut up and listen, right? Just listen. Don't try to fix them. Don't try to, you know, make it all better. Just allow them to begin this journey with you. Man, if you're a single person, I, be, I would encourage you, grab someone you can really trust. If it's a parent, then grab a parent. Man, if it's, if it's a, 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 a very mature friend, grab that very mature friend. Or a pastor, grab a pastor and begin this journey. And then, and then also in that journey, seek counseling. If, if you're a spouse and someone starts sharing this with you, man, encourage them to seek counseling. That you guys would do this together. Find a way. And in your hands, even this morning, are numbers to counselors that we at ACF, that we recommend people to go to. On the back of your sheet this morning, you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff. And we'll get to other stuff later. But one of the things are numbers to counselors. Begin this process. You can have healing that begins today. You don't have to carry this with you through your whole life.
that you can be healed from this. And that is, that's an amazing thing, is that there's healing even in our brokenness. And this is something that we must talk about in the church, and we have to stop ignoring and pretending like it's not happening. And thank goodness that even our society is coming up to this understanding. And I hope that healing can begin for you today if this is something that you've been struggling with. Now, we've been in this series called High Voltage, and, and, and we're calling it High Voltage because of that idea of electricity. And, and, and we get, like, sex and electricity, they're very comparable, right? They're very comparable. Man, electricity is an amazing gift, and if you've, ne- if you've ever been to a place, like, I, I got to go to Uganda one time and stay in this, this mud hut village with no electricity or anything, no running water or anything like that, you quickly miss electricity, Right? And you start to realize, man, this is a really good thing. But also understanding that electricity, when not handled correctly, can be incredibly damaging. And sex is very similar in that way. And I love Pastor Brian. If you weren't here last week, I, I want to let you know what he talked about last week. You see, in electricity, there, there's three parts of electricity, right? There's, there's the positive current, the negative current, and the grounding. And last week, pa- Pastor Brian talked about the positive current, about this understanding, and we need to know this, church, that God made sex, right? God made sex. His idea, his design, not the enemies, not societies, not some random chance where God's going through the garden, he sees Adam and Eve's like, what are you guys doing? What, uh, what, 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 where'd you come up with that? Right? No, 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 no. God created it, and it is good. All right, church, we got to also understand this, that sex is good. It is not bad until it's good, right? We've taught that for years to our kids, and maybe you've been taught that in youth group and church growing up if you grew up in the church. If you're someone who's grown up in the church, you've been probably taught that it's bad until it's good, and that is incredibly damaging to teach. That is incredibly damaging to teach. I know many, many, mostly women, and some men who, who now married and, and stayed pure through their teen years and got married, but they struggle with sex with their spouse because in their mind it's still bad, even though they know it's good, but they've been taught for so long it was bad and now it's good. No, God made it, it is good. But like electricity, it can be damaging when not handled properly. And so today we're going to talk about the negative side of things. Now I struggled with this idea, like sex, negative, no, it's good until it's it's not good, it, you know, it's good all the time, it's not bad until it's good, so how do I call sex negative? But understanding the way currents work, you see a positive current is a current that runs in the direction it was intended to run. And a negative current runs in the direction opposite of what it was intended to run. And so understanding, okay, negative sex, there is, there is something that, we can, that the enemy has taken and a lie that he has sold us, that we have bought in hook, line, and sinker that takes us the opposite direction of what God intended for sex. You see, there is a real enemy, and he really wants to destroy you. In fact, in John 10.10, it says that the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And Jesus, Jesus says, I have come that you, have made, that you may have life and have it abundantly. You see, and we can absolutely apply that verse to sex. That the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy you through broken sexuality. And that is one of his number one tools. That's one of his number one tools is to steal joy, to kill pleasure for you, and to destroy your life through sexual immorality. But Jesus says, no, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants us to enjoy a full life today. But for us to understand 
how sex, sex can be negative, we have to understand what it was created for. Why did God give us sex? This is super important. So I want to dive into a couple of reasons why God gave us sex that we see out of Scripture. And one of the number one reasons that we see God gave us sex is oneness. Is oneness. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It is this idea and understanding that they become one flesh flesh, that sex is not just something that happens with the body, but it is a mind, it is a soul, and it is your body, right? In, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6.16, Paul warns us this. He says, do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For, it's, for he says, the two shall become one flesh. Again, Paul is quoting Genesis right here. Don't you know that when you have sex with a prostitute, Paul says that you're becoming one with her, See, this understanding of oneness is this idea of souls mingling. Souls coming together for a purpose. God created it that way. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see this kind of montage of these things that, these, these phrases that the children of Israel recite in, in remembering God and thinking about God. And one of the first things to recite is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, it's the... Even Israel understood that, that there was kind of a plurality to God, yet God was one. See, and sex is designed in this exact same way. In fact, the phrasing that the children of Israel would use when they would say, the Lord our God is one, is this exact same phrasing that's written down here when it says that the two become one flesh. It is the idea of plurality coming together as one. And it is not talking about just phys- physically. It is talking about your souls coming together to be one. This is what God designed for a husband and a wife to come together and their souls, when they have sex, comes together to create one thing before God. See, sex was designed for oneness. That's why it can be damaging. As Paul writes, like, when you have sex outside of this, that you're still, it doesn't matter if it's with your spouse or with 20 different people. That each time your souls come together to create one. And when you break that, and you break that, and you break that through multiple partners, or, then that becomes damaging to our souls. The next thing that we see that soul was intended for was pleasure. And we talked a lot about this last week. Uh, my, my reference, my scripture reference is the, the book of Song of Solomon. Go ahead and read that. Right, Brian beautifully read that with a little Marvin Gaye behind him last week. It was awesome. But it was intended for pleasure. God designed pleasure in sex. It was a gift from Him. I mean, if you think about it, the female anatomy has parts of her body that do nothing except give her pleasure during sex. And who came up with that? Not Satan. Not man. God. God. This was His design. And part of the design is pleasure. That we would enjoy each other in coming together as one soul. It is a beautiful thing that God has created, and it is a powerful thing that God has created. The next thing, a reason that we see in Scripture that God created sex is, of course, I think the most obvious, and that's procreation. Genesis 1, 28, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. See, God 
He wanted us to come together, and he wanted us to have children. This is part of his plan. In fact, it was a commandment for Adam and Eve to have lots of children, to, to, to fill the earth. And the idea of filling the earth is that we would have kids and teach them the ways of God. And then that they would have children and teach their children the ways of God. See, subduing the earth is this idea of God's kingdom going through the earth, and we're teaching generation after generation of the greatness of God. So part, part of God's plan was that, obviously, procreation in this. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes we can just kind of get this idea in our mindset that pleasure and procreation, that is really for one thing, but, you know, I don't know where pleasure comes into this whole thing. But if you think about it, you really sit down and think about it. Um, there are organ, uh, there's species, there's living organisms on our earth. Take the flowers. That they, they procreate, they reproduce by the wind blowing some dust around, right? I mean, can you imagine if that's what God decided for us? Like standing in the grocery store and someone's like, Achoo! Oh, I am so sorry. I, I hope, man, you better go, uh, I hope you're not pregnant, right? Like, like, honey, don't go out. Cold season's coming on. We don't need another kid right now, right? Like, it literally could have been that way. It is that way for the plants and the trees and... Right? But God didn't do that with us. He wanted to experience pleasure. And he also wanted us to have children and subdue the earth with them. See, this is part of the plan. This is part of the design that God has given us. Another thing that we see in Scripture of what sex, one of the purposes of sex is knowledge. Genesis 4.1 Now Adam knew his wife, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. See, it doesn't say that Adam went and had sex with his wife. It doesn't say that Adam went and pleasured his wife. It doesn't say that Adam went to go make a child with his wife. It says that Adam knew his wife. It is this understanding of knowledge. That when you have sex with someone, that you know them in a deep, intimate way that you never knew them before. And there's a knowledge that can only come through sex. You see, understanding that oneness creates knowledge. Now, they, they go hand in hand with each other, but they are different. See, when I know my wife, when you know somebody through sex, you, you begin to understand, and here's the great lie that the enemy has taught us, is that sex is not just with the body. Right, And that's what the enemy, that's what society wants to teach us is that, oh, you can have sex with whoever you want. It's just a physical act. As long as there's two consenting adults, then it's okay because it's just with the body. It doesn't do anything more than that. And that is the, that is the lie that the enemy is trying to get us to buy into. And man, believe me, we have, our society has, and I get it. I've been there. I, I've, I've had these thoughts in my head that roll around that have gone, and even as a pastor, I remember thinking this one time, like, eh, is it really that bad? And I, I thought, like, man, what am I doing? What am I thinking this for? Is it really that bad that, man, these, this couple that's been dating for a couple years, that they're moving in together, eh, who cares? When I've had those thoughts. See, we've been buying the lie. Remember, we have this idea, this, this thought that, that like God just wants to take away our fun. He just wants to take away our joy. He just wants to take away our pleasure. And so he puts all these rules into our lives. And don't you understand? We get so blind. We've been so blinded to see these rules as a negative thing. They're not rules. They're a design. Right? Can you imagine 
Like, what if we didn't have rules on things? How could we enjoy them? If there was no rules for football, right? Just go do whatever you want. What would we have? We'd have nothing. We'd have chaos and no joy, no pleasure out of watching a game. No joy and pleasure in life. These are not rules. These are ways to help us enjoy, maximize what God has given us. To enjoy the pleasures, enjoy the gifts that he has given us. Satan wants to take that all away. Satan wants to take that all away. And so he, he teaches us and he tells us, man, sex is just with the body. But it is not just with the body. And when you have sex, part of that design is that you know that person in a deep, intimate way. To know their soul, to be exposed to each other. And it is a knowledge that can only come through sex. And finally, another thing that we see in Scripture is that sex is for comfort. 2 Samuel 12, 24. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and he lay with her, and she bore him a son, and he called his name Solomon. Is this understanding that there is a comforting, healing thing that happens when a husband and wife have sex? And that, that physically, even medically speaking, endorphins are released into our minds and, and that there's a healing aspect for it. And, and we read that here in Scripture. You see, we need to understand, again, John 10, 10, the enemy wants to destroy, but God wants you to have a life that is full. And yes, in, in a full life, and any parent understands this, that you have to bring boundaries into life. You cannot let your kids have ice cream every night for dinner. And yet it sounds awesome the first time. And then all of a sudden you have a, two, three nights of eating nothing but garbage for dinner. And your kids are sick and they're throwing up. And they're like, why am I so sick? Well, you know, no boundaries, right? Life's awesome. And this is just a, a small microcosm of what the reality of our lives are. That God does not come in to take our joy away. No, he comes in to maximize our joy in Him, and to enjoy this life to the full. And the enemy wants nothing more to, than to destroy that in your life. You see, I, I, I've had this question asked a lot to me, mostly by seniors in high school. Josh, what is God's will for my life? You know, how, how many people have ever thought that, asked that? What is God's will for my life? Like two people, wow, I'm, you guys are, on it like that's awesome you guys know god's will that's so cool uh, i'm still working on it well today this morning i, I want to tell you god's will for your life and i i, I let me rephrase that i don't want to tell you god's will. i want to read for you i've had a lot of people doesn't it just say in the bible like this is where i'm supposed to go to college no no it doesn't doesn't it say this is supposed to be my career choice no 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 it does not but it does say what god's will for our life is Many different times, many different places, but this one particular, I think, obtains to us this morning. First Thessalonians three, or I'm sorry, First Thessalonians four, starting in verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control your body in holiness and in honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no, one, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all things, in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, 
For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You ever read that verse before? What is God's will for your life? God's will is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you have control over your bodies. And that this is the will of God. Man, and let me just say, church, Paul's writing this to the church of Thessalonica, right? Like, they were dealing with this then, we're dealing with this today, right? It's, sometimes we fantasize and romanticize about like, oh man, the church back then was just this perfect, holy, pure thing, and we've just destroyed it today. No, they were dealing with sexual immorality in the church. Paul's like writing this, because you can hear the annoyance in his voice, like, like I've said before, guys, like I've said before, Stop it! Stop having sex with all each other! Keep it pure! Keep the bed pure! Keep, keep marriage pure! Stop! Here's the will of God! Stop having sexual immorality! Flee from it! Run from it! It is devastating to your lives! Again, this is not about the rules, this is for our protection. So what is negative sex then? If this is what the design of sex is, what is negative sex? First of all, negative sex is demeaning sex. Negative sex is demeaning sex. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage must be respected by all, and the marriage bed keep undefiled, because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. That's two verses in a row where you see God's going to judge immoral people and adulterers. It must be kept pure. Demeaning sex is this. I'm putting me above you. When we demean someone, we say, I am greater. My needs are better or greater than yours. And you might go, well, Josh, no. What if it's two consenting adults coming together? Then they're not demeaning each other? No that there's two consenting adults each demeaning each other. Because what it says is, it, it's, it, it's sex outside of marriage, it's, it's selfish. It's not putting that other person first. It's not keeping them pure before God. It's putting your needs above theirs, and what you have is two people putting their own needs above each other's. And you might go, well, Josh, no, they've been dating for, you know, I just have friends of mine that I've known in high school, and they've been dating for like, Eight, ten years. We just celebrated eight years of dating each other. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Well, they, they're committed to each other. No. No, they are not. There, there has been no commitment made in the acts of marriage. Now, marriage can look like many different things in many different cultures. And you go, oh, they have to have a big ceremony and all this stuff. No, but they have to understand that before God that they have committed to each other. And in, in ancient Israel, that was sex. The, the ceremony was nothing. Ceremony meant zero. It was the act of sex. And we see that all the way back to Genesis. Two become one, have sex, one before God. Now you're married. I mean, technically, in God's eyes, they're, they're together. They're married. Right? But it is demeaning sex. Negative sex says, my needs above yours. Number two, negative sex is desensitizing sex. It is desensitizing sex. Ephesians 3 I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and, and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. What he's saying is, you guys have been desensitized to this. Let me remind you 
that there should be none of this among you. You've been desensitized to that. And one of the greatest forms today of desensitization is pornography. Pornography desensitizes us in massive ways. And in fact, I can just say this, and I know this to be fact, that that very first pornographic image that you ever saw got you really excited and got you really confused and got you really going, especially if you were a kid, going, what is going on here? I like this, but I I hate this all at the same time. That same image would do nothing for you today. It doesn't, it doesn't excite you. It doesn't, it doesn't get you thinking about that. It gets you going, man, well, what's, what else can I look at? What else is heavier than this, deeper than this? What else is darker than this? And, And it just leads a trail where enough never becomes enough. And what was pleasure today is emptiness tomorrow. And so you've got to search for something else. It desensitizes you to what God designed for you. And, and we're going to talk about this a little later, but just about how dangerous porn is. That, that finally society, finally society outside of even the church is getting on board and understanding this. That you can find medical report after medical report about the dangers of pornography and how it literally rewrites your brain and your brain chemistry in a negative fashion. And so negative sex is is desensitizing sex. And finally, negative sex is damaging sex. 1 Corinthians 6.18, run from sexual immorality. Even every sin a person commits is outside the body. On contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Now you may be going, Josh, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, there's many sins that sin against your own body, like, you know, drunkenness, um, you know, cutting yourself, self-mutilation, you know, lots of different things we can sin against our own body. But no, there is a difference here, and Paul makes that very clear. You see, remember, sex is designed to affect our, our bodies, our souls, and our spirits. That every sexual act that you engage in, engages in your mind, engages in your soul, engages in your body, your spirit. And so when you are sexually immoral, it affects your soul, it affects your body, and affects your spirit. That is different than every other sin. And Paul lays that out clear right here. To flee from it because it damages you, because it is a powerful, powerful gift that God has given us. And when you use it outside of the way it was designed to, it creates damage. See, God gave us sex to enjoy, and Satan wants to take it to destroy. Well, I'm going to kind of switch gears here for the last 10 minutes. And I want to answer some questions that you guys asked. And, uh, man, there's some really great questions that are coming in here. And uh, so I'm going to jump into these and want to talk about them. Now, this first one, um, I just think that there's maybe a lot of people in this room that are um, dealing with this right now. So I'm going to read these word for word as they came in. What would you recommend for married couples who are physically separated for nine months? My husband and I are discussing how we can stay pure through this deployment when there is an extended physical absence. All right. Good question. I feel for you. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like Nine months, man. That's, that's not fun. Um, great question. How do we stay pure? Two words. First word, boundaries, okay? Boundaries. Set up boundaries for yourself. Make sure your spouse, 
who's deployed is setting up boundaries, that you guys talk about your boundaries, that you know your boundaries, right? That maybe it's like, man, I, I'm super tempted. Um, we're going into this long time of abs- abstinence. So like, I'm just not going to get on the internet after 9 p.m. Or I'm just, you know, whatever it is, I'm not going to be watching these shows on TV. Whatever it might be that you're going to set up boundaries for yourself. And and also be aware of how you're feeling. Be aware of your emotional state, right? If you're like ordering something from Amazon and the UPS guy comes and you open the door and he's like, whoa, he's cute, right? Like uh, all of a sudden you're not on Amazon ordering something to show up like every single day, right? Like your grocery list is like not one item, you know, scheduled back every day, the same guy showing up, showing up, right? Be aware of that stuff. Be aware of what you begin to fantasize about. Like all of a sudden, it's like, UPS guy, oh my goodness. You know what? And be aware of these things. Like this is real. It's funny, but it's also real. And it can, it can go sideways really quick. It can go south really, really quick. And so be aware, set boundaries, okay? And, and the next the next part, let me jump into the next question here. All right, you guys ready? You asked, I'm answering. Is masturbation for men and women a sin? I have everyone's attention right now. <laughs> you asked, I'll answer. Um, this is not a simple yes or no answer. Let me say this. First of all, single people in the room, you cannot convince me that you can do this act and not, not be thinking about some woman, not be lusting after a woman in your mind. And Jesus made it very clear. He brought the bar from here to unattainable completely. I mean, it wasn't here. The bar was already unattainable, and then he just made it even impossible. He said, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. <clears throat> so you cannot convince me that you can do that and not lust after a woman in your heart. So ye, I would say, if you're single in this room, yes, it is a sin. If you are married in this room, I would say that you cannot convince me, biblically speaking, and I've, I've looked into this, I've researched this, I've, I've listened to very smart people on this. You cannot convince me that biblically the act of it is a sin. You cannot convince me that it is a sin. I will say this, though, we can quickly create things and make them sinful in our minds in a hurry, right? It is about what is going on in your heart and a lot less than about what's happening just with your body. And so going back to the first question, my first answer was boundaries. My second answer is creativity. Creativity for deployed spouses, Right, to be creative. Like, even Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 9 says this. He says, It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Right, and Paul basically says this. He says, Look, this is not God speaking. This is me, Paul. I think it's better not to get married because then you're not bound up by your family and you can just preach the gospel to whoever, whenever, and you don't have to worry about going to jail or dying. Okay, Paul, that's great. But, Paul says, if you're just going to burn with passion, get married. Don't fall into sin. And so couples who are deployed with deployed spouses, and thank God for some technology, right? Be creative and don't just burn with passion and fall into sin. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Next, 
Question. How can you have a conversation in a healthy manner? How can you have this conversation in a healthy manner during dating? Excellent question. I love that question. Let me say this. First of all, you need to understand what are your boundaries personally. What are your boundaries? I hope you've set some. If you haven't, do that today. Set boundaries for yourself. Know your boundaries. I will not cross this line. Here's where I am comfortable saying, this is it. Like, we can go no further than this, okay? Then have that discussion with the person you're dating. Now, look, on the first date, it doesn't have to be on the first date, right? You're broke. You're taking a McDonald's because it's, you know, 68 cents ice creams on your first date. You have no money, and so you're sitting there eating your ice creams. Look, I want you to know I'm not going across this line, right? No, don't you know, freak them out. No, don't do that. But I would say soon, quickly have that conversation. Quickly have it. And really, it is, it's not fair for them to not know what your boundaries are, right? Like, that's not fair. Like, they should know pretty soon, like, hey, here's physically where I'm, I'm willing to go. And emotionally where I'm willing to go. Set those boundaries as you guys date. And let me just say this, too. If you're dating somebody, I, I hate the terminology um, but I love the understanding of it, of courtship. It's just, it feels like very old school word to me. We need to come up with a new word. But really of what courtship is, the understanding of I'm going to date you, understanding that this could lead to marriage. Like I'm going to date you, and the reason I'm dating you because I see this going somewhere. It doesn't mean I'm dating you, now I'm going to marry you, but it means I'm dating you and I can see this going somewhere. If you're dating someone and, and you don't see it going anywhere, the only reason you're dating them is because they're hot. Man, stop it. Stop it. You're, just, you're, you're, you're awakening things in yourself that you cannot fulfill. And scripture is clear. It says, don't do that. But if you see this going somewhere, and potentially like, man, this is, I see qualities in them. I love the way that they treat their mom. I love the way that they treat their sister. I love the way that they interact with their brothers. I love the way that they talk with their friends. I love that they're, they're moving towards Jesus. I love that they're moving towards Jesus, and it doesn't have to be that they've arrived, because nobody has, and if they've arrived in your mind, check yourself, right? Because they have not arrived. But you see those things, you're like, yes, okay, let's begin these conversations. Then I would say, after some time, i do not putting time on anything, but then eventually you're going to want to have conversations of if there's any brokenness in your past. Right? You don't have to spill your guts and say all these things, but if this gets serious, like, hey, we're talking actually getting married, there's some things you need to know about my past. I would have those conversations. And then finally, man, we're getting married, we're engaged, and we have a fantastic and amazing marriage mentorship program. I would say plug into that, and in that program, you know, with guidance of older mentors, you'll have the conversation about sex, and, and, and we'll dive more into this. And I have people in this room have, I've sat through marriage mentorship with, and I love them very much, and it's amazing to see God work through their lives, and how they're teaching younger people now about how to do this right. But, and we'll have that conversation like a week before the marriage, right? Like, I'm not gonna start the conversation out, you know, six months before the marriage, and you're just taking cold showers every day, because what we're talking about in marriage mentorship. But, these conversations are important. Um, okay, this last one I want to talk about. I'm running out of time, but I really want to talk about this. Um, what does God say when a wife feels too broken and betrayed to have sex with her husband? This is, this is heartbreaking. This is devastating. 
And this is going on a lot in our marriages. Um, I want to answer this. This is not a simple answer. I got to know some more things, but let me try to speak to a couple different areas of this. First of all, why is she broken? Why does she feel betrayed? If it's because of you, you need to begin the process of, 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 of forgiveness. You need to begin the process of repentance. You need to be the, begin the process of, of making things right. Now, even in that, let me say this from the front. Please hear me. If you're in a marriage uh, uh, and there is abuse going on, that do not let the, the abuser say, you can't leave me because the Bible says that God hates divorce. You know what he hates more? Abuse. Okay, if you're in an abusive relationship, do not allow this conversation to go, well, you have to stay in this abuse and you have to forgive me because the Bible says to forgive. No, you do not have to. Now, you may choose to walk the journey, and that is your choice, but you need to do that with safe, healthy boundaries and people walking that journey with you. Do not allow that to continue in your life, okay? Biblically, you are not bound to anybody who abuses you. Now, if you begin to walk this journey and you are the reason your wife is broken and you are the reason she feels betrayed and, and you have begun this, this area of repentance and you've begun the area of reconciliation and you're walking within repentance and you're walking in reconciliation, then I would say to the wife, okay, allow this forgiveness to happen. Like you need to start forgiving him in your heart. And as the husband, you need to say, look, give her time. If you've broken trust, if you've done something, you, you cannot rush and run into this and say, well, you forgave me, so now we have to have sex. No. There will take time. But as the wife, there will need to come a time when you have sex with your husband. And that there's actually healing within that in itself of souls coming back together to become one, to know each other. And I know it can be difficult and painful. And so I would also say to seek counseling in that that you guys would come, because it was designed for your pleasure and for his pleasure, that you would both enjoy it equally. And if it's a painful thing for you, then man, we need to get to the root of why it's painful and why you don't want to, and we need to get that healed. And if the, 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 the betrayal and the, and the distrust and everything happened outside of the marriage, like as a teenager or whatever it might be, man, help them say, again, verbiage, what has happened, and then help them walk into the story and begin healing through counseling, right? Don't pressure, but walk through healing and counseling with them. Encourage them. Go to the counseling with them. They need to be healed. And it's not just for your sex life, but it is for wholeness. God desires wholeness for us. Healing in our minds, our souls, our spirits, our bodies. And so walk in that. And I just want to end with saying this. I know there's many people in this room who have been broken sexually. We all have. We all have. There's many people in this room that have been broken and are still broken and carrying that and walking in that. And I want to say there's healing for you today. There is healing for you today. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? May the Lord himself sanctify you. 
completely heal you. Heal what? Heal your soul, heal your spirit, and heal your body. God can begin that process today. The Lord himself wants to begin that process today in your life. You need to understand that there is complete healing for you and to begin to walk into that, that the Lord himself wants to heal you completely. And you can begin that journey today. I understand that pornography is a major, major player in this game of our sexual immorality. I I know because I've experienced it. I know because I've walked in it. And let me just say, singles in this room, it does not go away after you just get married. It doesn't. There's married couples that are hiding things right now from each other. I did. And it wasn't until I began a conversation with my wife in openness and honesty that I was able to walk and to find healing in that area. But all of us, I I want us to, I thought, how amazing would it be if ACF Church could say, we went 30 days porn-free. 30 days porn-free. And there is a, there's a website. If you've never been to it, I highly suggest you check it out. Be careful when you type it in. It is triplexchurch.com. Triplexchurch.com. And, and, and they put out uh, this material called 30-Day Porn-Free Challenge. And what we have done as ACF Church is we have gotten it and we've put it all over our stuff. If you have the ACF Church app, you open the app, it's right there at the bottom. Boom. It, it's an ebook that you download and you read one little section of it every day for the next 30 days. If you go to our website, it's a banner across the top of the website. If you go to the website to watch today's sermon because you wanted to see something or you write something down that you forgot or show a friend, you click on the sermon. Boom. It's right there next to, to, the, to the link to the sermon. Well, how amazing would it be if ACF Church went 30 days porn free? That would be incredible. I want us, I want to challenge you, everyone, whether you say it's an issue for you or it is not, do it all together in solidarity. And me too. Me too, I've struggled with it. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have given us this incredible gift, this powerful gift, God, and you've given it to us to enjoy. You've given it, given it to us to build us, God, to bind husbands and wives together, to bring us together for you, Jesus. And God, forgive us for believing the lie. Forgive us for, God, for, for choosing a lie over the truth. And God, we have all been broken sexually. But Jesus, there is healing for each and every one of us, God. May the Lord himself heal you completely, your soul, your mind, your body. Jesus, I pray that for people today. God, I pray that there are people that have been hiding abuse in their life for years. Jesus, I pray that you'd give them the courage to to talk about it. God, give them the courage to step into the journey. God, step into the story and begin the journey of healing. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would meet them right where they're at, right now in their hearts. God, and let them know they're not walking this journey alone. We love you. We glorify you in all areas of our lives and with our bodies, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.